you for this opportunity to study all 66 books week after week. Lord, we come before you and just ask your blessing on this day. Glorify your name, and for Jesus' sake, amen. amen. All right, so this is, uh, has to be the absolute best Sunday school class that I have ever attended. And it began, if, if you don't know, August 1st, 2021 <laughs> was our kickoff to this 66 books of the Bible study. And, and it's been really, really exciting. I just wanted to uh, mention uh, some of the teachers. If I miss someone, please forgive me. But of course, Joel and David, they did most of the heavy lifting all the way through the Old Testament. And that, that was uh, amazing. And then Steve and uh, Don, Clarence, Butch, and Todd uh, doing several of the books each, and, and it's been really exciting. I just wanted to say thanks to all those people. <laughs> well, I didn't do it yet. <laughs> I didn't finish yet. <laughs> so, all right, so today we're going to uh, be going into the book of Revelation. And I know Revelation is like, a, or end times Bible prophecy is like something really, really personal to everybody. And the problem is that everybody has a different idea of what is the truth when it comes to Revelation. There's so many ideas out there. And, and so uh, it's impossible for anyone to talk about the book of Revelation without offending someone. <laughs> so I'm going to be offending a lot of people today. And... and uh, I brought this up as protection for, <laughs> for all the rotten tomatoes and eggs that you're going to be throwing at me today. And, uh, and I'm going to be uh, stepping on a lot of toes today. So I brought along a first aid kit <laughs> to, uh, to help you out at the end of, of today's lesson. So here we are in the book of Revelation. All right, we're going to go through our standard uh, format. So we're going to begin with the author of the book. And chapters 1 and ch chapters 22 tell us that John wrote the book of Revelation. It doesn't say which John. It just says John wrote it. And then... Uh, the seven churches that were being written to were all, the Apostle John was the most well-known person in all those churches. And, and uh, so he was so well-known that he didn't need to say, I'm the Apostle John. All he had to do was say, I'm John. And then as you go work your way through church history, the various people in the early stages of the church history, Justin Martyr, Irenaeus, Clement, others, they all said that uh, in their opinion, the author was the Apostle John, or John the Apostle. Now we also have in chapter 1 and chapter 22, they tell us that God the Father gave the revelation to Jesus Christ, and then Jesus gave the revelation to his angel, and then his angel gave the revelation to John. And so what that's telling us is that the ultimate author is God himself. So Revelation is the inspired, infallible word of God that was written by John the Apostle. 
So it's written to immediately to the seven churches of Asia, which Asia Minor, which is Western Turkey today, Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. So those were the original immediate recipients. More broadly, Revelation is written to all Christians in all places, in all times. It's for us today, here, uh, in this church. All right. So the occasion, there was a lot of false teaching, immorality, persecution, assaulting the churches, and there's much more coming. And so he was, it's to prepare the church for difficult times. All right, so there's a lot of persecution going on, and there were two Roman emperors who were famous for persecution. One was Nero, who reigned 54 to 68, and the other Domitian, 81 to 96. So there's two proposed dates for the writing. All right, so uh, one of those dates is 67 to 68, when Nero was uh, ruling and the other 90 to 96 when uh, Domitian was ruling. And there just seems to be a, a, a bigger consensus that it's the later date. So most, most commentators say Revelation was written around 90 AD or maybe a little bit later than that. So that's the date of purpose. Revelation is written to comfort and encourage the church in its struggle against the forces of evil in times of persecution and tribulation. Christ will come back soon to defeat Satan and his angels, his agents. Revelation gives assurance to Christians that God is in control and is working out his plan of salvation and judgment. Their victory has been secured through the blood of the Lamb, and God has prepared a new heaven and a new earth for Christians. So it's very encouraging, even though it's got to be very discouraging for the unbelievers, it's very encouraging for the believers. All right, apocalyptic style. It involves strange visions of symbolic characters, such as the lamb, the dragon, the beast, the false prophet, uh, the harlot. You have horses and angels executing God's plans and symbolic numbers everywhere. So uh, that's the kind of style Revelation is written in. All right, so the question is, how should we interpret the book of Revelation? This is the first big question that comes up. Uh, the apocalyptic style pushes us to interpret many characters, colors, numbers, symbolically rather than literally. And so as you read through, you're asking yourself all the time, should I understand this in a symbolic way or in a literal way? I don't know. <laughs> and uh, so that's, that's the, one of the big questions comes up when you're reading Revelation. A lot of times it, it really pushes us. You have to interpret this symbolically. But then there's other times you, you don't know. It can go either way. So uh, now John literally saw and heard all these things, but they are not all meant to be interpreted literally. So that's the one thing. All right, we have a lot of themes in the book of Revelation. God, of course, is the, one of the big themes. Revelation is God-centered. God controls the course of history. 
and God will punish all who rebel against him. Christ, the victor and conqueror of the dragon, the beast, the false prophet, the harlot, and those who worship the beast, he is also victorious over death and hell. Victory runs throughout the book, the victory of Christ and the church over the dragon and all the forces of evil. Worship, angels, and Christians respond in God to worship throughout the book. Theophanies and Christophanies, appearances of God and Christ, are central to Revelation. Visions, God discloses his purposes by giving visions of symbolic characters and scenes. Then we have uh, these cycles of judgment. There are seven cycles of judgment, all ending with the final judgment at the return of Christ. All the judgments issue from the presence of God in heaven. And we'll be seeing if that statement is true or not, or we'll see back up to it about them all ending on the day of judgment. Spiritual war. Behind history, there are spiritual forces at work. God and his agents war against Satan and his agents and humanity is in the middle of the war. Counterfeiting. Counterfeiting runs throughout the book of Revelation, and especially the dragon, the beast, and the false prophet are presented as a counterfeit trinity. And there's a lot behind that. Unity. We are more than conquerors through Christ, who gives us the victory over the dragon, the beast, and the false prophet. Nearness of time. Revelation reveals what must soon take place. But this includes the final judgment and the return of Christ. So we have to conform our idea of near and soon to God's idea of near and soon. All right, schools of interpretation. So the one big question we've looked at already was, do you read this symbolically or literally? The second big question is, when in history do all these things in Revelation happen? And, and there's uh, actually four different schools. There could be more, but there's four usually given. One is called preterist, right? The preterist says that the fulfillment of Revelation occurred in 70 AD at the fall of Jerusalem. Revelation was written in 67 to 68 while Nero was the emperor. So that's called the preterist view. Futurist. The fulfillment of most of this, uh, the book of Revelation will occur uh, during a period of final crisis just before the second coming of Christ. So it's still out in the future, most of what's in there. The historicist says Revelation presents a chronological outline of the course of church history from the first coming to the second coming of Christ. And then the idealist says the scenes of Revelation are about principles of spiritual war, not specific events. These principles operate repeatedly throughout the church age. So I've got that written up here to take a look at this. You have the first coming of Christ, the second coming of Christ, and the preterist says everything in Revelation happens here, right at the beginning, the first century. The futurist says most of Revelation is happening, well, no, out here at the end of history. 
It's all the way out at the end. The historicist says, well, you read through, you know, here's chapters 3 and, and 4 and 5 and 6 and 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, you know, it just is giving it in the order in which things happen in history for all the way from the first to the second coming. And the idealist says, no, it's uh, principles. And so for, uh, and so the principles are, are fulfilled many, many times throughout history and, and so on. So we'll take a look at one passage to show how these things work. All right, and the one passage is uh, Revelation chapter 13. It talks about the beast, the beast that comes up out of the sea, and, and the beast is given permission to persecute Christians unlike ever before in history. And so for the preterist, well, the beast is Nero, the emperor Nero, who persecuted Christians, burning them at the stake and what, you know, feeding them to the lions and all of that. And, and so the, the beast is Nero, and that would be the preterist view. The futurist, the beast, is this man of lawlessness that 2 Thessalonians 2 talks about, who's going to sit in the temple and claim to be God, and he's going to go out and persecute Christians and, and hold it. That would be, it's still future. It hasn't happened yet. And the historicist would say, well, let's see, what, where are we in the history of the world and, and, you know, I think we're right here. We're right here when we talk about the beast. And the beast is the pope who, who persecuted the reformers and the Protestant church and everything, because we're right about that spot in history. So the beast is the pope who's putting Christians to death and, you know, and so on. And then the idealist says, well, the beast is not uh, an event. It's a principle. It's the principle of state persecution of Christians. And so whenever you see the state persecuting a Christian, there's a fulfillment under Nero. There's another fulfillment here and another fulfillment here and another fulfillment. All throughout history, the state is, winds up rising up and persecuting Christians. It's, it's the principle, right? So those are the ideas, the kinds of ways that the book of Revelation is interpreted. And so... Answering this question is very important to understand the book. All right. Everyone got that one? <laughs> I'm not telling you yet which I am. <laughs> All right. So, so then the thing, <coughs> this I think is the most important question in the book. If you're going to have any hope of understanding it. And, and, the, and the question is, are the sections in chronological order or are they parallel to each other? When I talk about the sections, I'm talking about chapter 5 to chapter 20, where there are seven sections of the book. You have the seven seals, seven trumpets, seven symbolic histories, seven bowls, a sevenfold judgment of Babylon, and you have the judgment of the beast and false prophet and the judgment of the dragon. There are seven sections of the book. And the question is, are these sections chronological? In other words, do the things that happen in chapters 5 through 7 happen before the things that happen in 8 through 11? 
which happened before the things happened in 12 through 14, which happened before the things that happened in 15 and 16, and happened before the things, <laughs> you got the idea. So is everything in chronological order of its fulfillment, or are these uh, sections all parallel to each other, all ending, they all have the same ending point, Judgment Day. And if they all have the same ending point, then they must start back before that and go forward. In other words, it goes to the end, comes back, goes to the end, comes back, goes to the end, comes back, goes to the end, and comes back, and it keeps doing that. So that's a very important question. So do, all right, so we just dealt with this. Are they chronological or, all right, or do they run parallel to each other? You can, some people call it parallelism or recapitulation. So this would be a picture of parallelism. You have the seven seals. They start and go forward to the second coming. Then you have the second trumpet. They go back here and they start and come forward to the second coming. Seven symbolic histories. They start and then go forward to the second coming. Seven bowls. They, have, they seem to start later and go forward to the second coming. And then these final ones are just the, like the, the final ending of everything. It just talks about Judgment Day. So a careful reading of the book of Revelation would appear to indicate that all of the above sections have the same end point. All seven sections end on Judgment Day. This would mean that the seven sections run parallel to each other and should not be seen as occurring in chronological order. So we're gonna, we're gonna look into that and see is that really the way we should be reading Revelation or should we be reading it chronologically? Oh boy, <laughs> the millennium. <laughs> All right, according to Revelation 20, Christ will reign over his messianic kingdom for a thousand years. From the very beginning of church history, there have been two main views of the timing of this millennial kingdom, and they couldn't be any different, more different. One is called premillennialism, and the other is called amillennialism. Premillennialists believe that the messianic reign of Christ takes place after the return of Christ, while amillennialists believe that the messianic reign of Christ takes place before the return of Christ. In other words, amillennialists believe that the messianic reign of Christ begins on the day of Pentecost and extends to the return of Christ. So you have those two ideas. Jesus is on the throne now. He's reigning from heaven. He's reigning over the whole church, which has been extended to the whole world. And he is reigning, and he's putting all his enemies under his feet. And this has been going on from the day of Pentecost. It's still going on today, and it will go on until the day that he returns. That's what our millennialists say is the fulfillment of Revelation 20, this millennial reign of Christ. Premillennialists say, no, we're not. Jesus isn't reigning yet. He's not going to reign until he comes back again. He's going to set up a throne over in Jerusalem, and he's going to reign for another thousand years after he comes back. So those are the, the two main ideas. There's other ideas that uh, they didn't exist in the, in the early part of the church. They just came into being later in the <coughs> Reformation or 
day, the days of the Reformation or in the 1830s, whatever. You can ask me any question you want. <laughs> no one's jumped in yet. <laughs> Anyone want to ask a question? <laughs> Otherwise, think about it for the end. We'll have time for questions at the end. Well, you can't just say what is a Presbyterian because you probably have Presbyterians that hold all the positions. But uh, for the most part, I think probably amillennial. Yeah. Yeah. I'm under the impression that all millennial is not a literal thousand years, it's just a fulfillment period. In other words, the, the 1,000 is a symbolic number, meaning the total amount of time. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And, and the premillennialists would be a literal thousand, and, and since we've already had more than a thousand years, it can't be before, it's got to be after. All right. Okay, so pre, let's see, did I do all this? Okay, so the premillennialists believe that the book of Revelation should be read in chronological order. So if you're a premillennialist, you're saying everything in Revelation is happening in chronological order. And so in chapter 19, Jesus returns, you know, the, great, the, the white horse riding back to destroy the beast and the false prophet. And then you get to Revelation 20. Well, that happens later. So it, it must be something that happens after the return of Christ because they're reading chronologically. Where the, okay. So does that make sense? <laughs> If you're reading the book chronologically, well, then it's obvious Jesus doesn't start the kingdom until after he comes back, because chapter 20 happens after chapter 19. All right, amillennialists believe that the book of Revelation should be read using parallelism or recapitulation. Amillennialists see the judgment of the dragon in chapter 20 as taking place at the same time as the judgment of the beast and the false prophet in chapter 19 which would mean that the messianic reign takes place before the return of Christ. That's these back here. The judgment of the beast and false prophet ends on judgment day. The dragon ends on judgment day. They end at the same point. And, and in Revelation 20, that's after the, after the millennial reign of Christ. Outline. So we start out chapter 1, John has a vision of Christ. Chapters 2 and 3, we have the letters to the seven churches. And then uh, chapter 4, we have the worship around the throne, you know, the four living creatures and all the angels and on and on, all the worship around the throne. And then chapters 5 through 20, we have these seven cycles of judgment that are talked about there. The seven seals, seven trumpets, symbolic histories, bowls, the judgment of Babylon, the beast and false prophet, and the judgment of the dragon. Then uh, the end of chapter 20, we have the judgment of the dead. Right? I call these first seven the judgment of the living because it happens to people who are alive at the return of Christ. And the, chapter the end of chapter 20, the judgment of the dead. Death and Hades give up the dead in them and they are judged. And then we end with the new heavens and the new earth. So that's the revelation. I keep looking at the board. It's back here. The outline of Revelation. 
All right, so for commentary, I've, I've decided to just pick uh, eight verses or eight readings. And, and the, the purpose of these eight readings is to see, do all of these judgments end at the return of Christ, at the day, at judgment day? In other words, is, is parallelism correct or is it wrong? Should we really be reading the book chronologically? So that's what I've decided. They're somewhat long readings, so I'll just ask you to put up with that. And, and what I want to... I want you to be looking for things that would indicate, is this the final judgment or not? All right? If we see the final judgment in all seven, or there's going to be eight, eight readings is, if we see the final judgment in every single one, then, then that's a clue that we're on the right track here. If we're not seeing the final judgment, then maybe we're on the wrong track. Everybody got that? <laughs> so I want you to look for the, what indicates that this is a final judgment, and I want you to tell me what you're seeing here, okay? All right, so the first one is called the sixth seal. Who could read that one for us? All right, do you see anything in there that would make it look like this is the final judgment? What's, just say what you see. The great day of their wrath has come. The great day of their wrath has come. What else? Okay, it's affecting the, the sun, the moon, the stars, everything is, you know, is collapsing, all right? What else? How do you live when things are all collapsing? All right, all right. Anybody else? Tire rolls away, the mountains collapse. All right. It's, it's looking like uh, this is the end. How many people are affected? All right. The number of people affected, the, the, the princes, the generals, the rich, the mighty, slave and free, everyone, everyone on earth is affected by this cataclysmic event. So it does uh, appear to be the, the second coming of Christ, and they're trying to hide from judgment day. All right, let's look at the next one, the seventh trumpet. 
Who can read this for us? I know these are not as big because there's more words. Who can read this one? saying, We give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty, who is and who was, for you have taken your great power and begun to reign. The nations raged, but your wrath came, and the time for the dead to be judged, and for rewarding your servants, the prophets and saints, and those who fear your name, both small and great, and for destroying the destroyers of the earth. Then God's temple in heaven was opened, and the ark of his covenant was seen within his temple. There were flashes of lightning, rumbles, peals of thunder, an earthquake, and heavy hail. Okay, what do you see here? Same thing, all right. Yeah. Uh, the time for judging the dead, uh, rewarding the God's servants, and judging the his enemies, and so on. All right, so again, it looks like a, a world-ending thing, and again, you have these cataclysmic things, the lightning, the rumblings, the peals of thunder, the earthquake, hailstorm, all these things. And we'll see that those sort of things are written in all of these passages. So here we've seen the seven seals ending with the second coming, or judgment day, the seven trumpets ending with judgment day. How about, this is, there's... Seven called symbolic histories, you know, the dragon, the woman, the beast, the false prophet, and so on. And uh, the seventh one has angels riding back on the clouds to do something. And this is the seventh one of the symbolic histories. What's happening here? Who can read this one? All right, thank you. All right, what do you see here? You see two sections, right? What's the first section? Second coming. Cloud, the Son of Man. Okay, so you have the Son of Man coming on the clouds, and what does the Son of Man do when he comes on the clouds? He harvests the earth or reaps uh, the crops, if you will. And he gathers them into his barn, so to speak. All right, how about the second part? 
<laughs> the Grim Reaper, all right? Now all, everyone else is gathered together, and where are they put? The wine press of the wrath of God, all right? The wine press of God's wrath. And this trampling and all the blood, like, you know, this high for endless miles and miles and miles. Uh, I mean, all life is, is driven out of the, the unbelievers. In the final judgment, there is no life. It's 100% death. I don't know. Okay, so here again, you have the second coming of Christ, and at the second coming, there's a, a double event, the harvesting of all the believers and the judgment of all the unbelievers. All right, then we have the seventh bowl. Who can read this for us? Okay, what do you see here? <laughs> all right, again, you're seeing judgment, all right, and these cataclysmic events in the universe, the lightnings, the rumblings, the thunder, the earthquake, the hail, plagues, uh, everything going on. Uh, and God remembered Babylon the great and gave her the cup filled with the wine of the fury of his wrath. All right, Judgment Day. All right, we'll look at another one. This is the seventh message of judgment on Babylon. Uh, there, it's the fifth cycle. Who can read this one? such violence, the great city of Babylon will be thrown down, never to be found again. The music of harpists and musicians, flute players, trumpeters will never be heard in you again. No workman of any trade will ever be bound in you again. The sound of a millstone will never be heard in you again. The light of a lamp will never shine in you again. The voice of the bridegroom and bride will never be heard in you again. Your merchants All right, so here, this is, is Babylon have any future hope at this point? <laughs> it's all over. Right? And here again, we see the, the tricky thing is what do you interpret symbolically and what do you interpret literally? Is this talking about the city of Babylon? Most people will say, no, this is the city of Rome. <laughs> Rome is the, the, 
the center of the world empire in these, in these days. And there are places in the New Testament which indicate Rome is being called Babylon. All right, so anyway, whatever this Babylon is, Babylon is totally and completely destroyed and there's nothing left and nothing ever to come out of it again. All right, it's the end of the world system as we know it. Oh, this is a long one. The judgment of the beast and false prophet. Who, who wants to take on a big, a long one? Can you see it? <laughs> or if you have a Bible in your hand, you can read it from your Bible. <laughs> 1911 to 21. Nobody brave enough to do a long one. <laughs> All right, so when you're starting to throw people into the fiery lake of sulfur, you're, you're at the, the final judgment. That, that is hell itself. So the beast and false prophet are thrown uh, into hell here, and all the others uh, are put to death. And then at the end of Revelation 20, we'll see death will give them up, and then they'll be thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur. All right, uh, for those who have waited, you got a short one now. <laughs> Judgment of the dragon, who wants to do this one?
consumed them, and the devil, who had deceived them, was thrown into the lake of fire, and sulfur where the beast and false prophet were, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. All right, again, uh, the picture of the final judgment of the dragon being thrown into hell and the torment, endless torment, forever and ever. And then the final, the judgment of the dead. Who can read the final one for us? All right, the final judgment, the great white throne judgment. All right, so um, have I persuaded you about this way of reading the book of Revelation? I hope so. Um, but, okay, so it's open now for questions about anything in the book of Revelation. <laughs> The, well, if you're reading chronologically, you got a problem. <laughs> but if you're, re if you're reading parallel, they're all ending at the same point, so they're all going to be talking about the, putting the final generation to death or whatever. More questions. Come on. You. <laughs> I, I left myself wide open for you to attack. <laughs> yes. So why would somebody think they're cast one way or another? Maybe more so than the others. What are they doing about that? Uh, to say, I know better than you <laughs> or something. I don't know. It's, it's pride. But it's also, every Christian reads and they, they're believing this is the truth. This is the infallible word of God. It's truth. And if you say something different, I think you're wrong, you know. And, and so everyone is coming at this from a different angle and, and they're saying you're wrong. And there's also, every position is mischaracterized. <laughs> In other words, when you, like just... I'm millennialist, they say, they don't believe in any millennium. You know, things, something like that, because ah means no, no millennium. But that's not really what it means. Everyone mischaracterizes the other side, and they, they make their side glow with light and everything. And so it, it happens. I don't, you know, I think if we all have the Holy Spirit, we should all be 100% the same in our understanding of the Bible. But it doesn't, it just doesn't happen. <laughs> yeah, I, I think what often happens is people out of a 
do a little bit of interpretation without acknowledging that interpretation and then just saying, essentially, if you disagree with me, then you don't take the Bible literally. Even that, that phrase, like taking the Bible, taking this literally, is a very loaded phrase because I think what you're saying and what I, I believe is that you need to con consider the genre <laughs> of what you're reading. Um, it's, it's a silly example, uh, but no one, if I grew up reading the Garfield cartoons, and I would never read the Garfield cartoon and say, ah, Jim Davis, who wrote Garfield, is a liar because we know that cats cannot <laughs> talk and dogs, you know, so he, he's lying. So don't trust anything this man says. He's a fraud, he's a shrug. No, no, we instinctively know okay, within this world and this genre of literature that he has created, uh, then cats and dogs can have thoughts. And, and it's, it's all part of it. Now, again, that's a very simple thing. But you have to kind of realize, well, are you reading uh, poetry here? Are you reading a, a parable? Um, are you reading literal, you know, King David and King Solomon history? Or uh, is the does the genre of apocalyptic literature have its own rules in which they are allowed to employ symbolism to sort of create this um, sense and underlying truth of what's happening. And so I guess that's what I would say is I think sometimes people say, well, no, no, it's not apocalyptic. It's just straightforward, kind of like the Book of Kings, Book of Chronicles history. And therefore, if you read it any other way, then you don't really believe that the, what the Bible is saying is true. And I think no matter where you fall down, I think both sides do believe that the Bible is true, and both are attempting to take it literally. They just disagree with the with essentially the genre of the text. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. Hey, Jim? Yes. This is Bob for Reclaim. You know, I've always struggled with the thousand-year reign thing. Okay. My understanding is that, that Christ is reigning now. He's been reigning from the day of Pentecost. He'll reign until he returns. And uh, 1 Corinthians 15 says he's going to keep reigning until he's put all his enemies under his feet, which and the, the last enemy is death itself. And then, you know, the believers will all be resurrected, trans transformed from this life to the next, and, and so on. And then at that time, it says he turns the kingdom back to the Father, but he continues to reign with the Father forever. And, and so he had, there's this messianic reign during which people are going to be saved, and then there's the future reign over all the saved. The, the unsaved are, are gone when you get to that. That's my understanding, and uh, of course, there's a lot of other understandings. And so the thousand would not be a literal number, but a symbolic number. There's a, just a real quick one. Uh, when Stephen is uh, stoned to death in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 7, uh, he has this vision in verse uh, 56, and he said, Behold, I see the heavens open, and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with loud, and they, so then they killed him. And so the question is, is that 
perhaps seems to be an indication that Jesus is at the right hand of God, uh, reigning now, and that Stephen gets comfort from this in a moment of his death. That even though it seems like Satan is winning and he's being killed, that still um, Jesus would be reigning, which would seem to be the whole point of the book of Revelation, is that in the midst of all this tribulation, in the midst of persecution, trouble for the people on the earth, we can, we can, like Stephen, have comfort for the fact that Jesus is still the king. Um, he is the Christ. Christ means the king, the anointed one. And he did not sort of cease to be the Christ through his incarnation, death, resurrection, but rather this was his coronation to sit and rule at the right hand of God. Does, does that make sense? Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of verses in the New Testament which indicate that Jesus is reigning now. Yeah. Um, Numerology plays a big part in, in Revelation 2 because as you said, you know, 666, which is number 7, is the, the number of the end completion, 1,000 number of perfection, and so on and so forth. So if you take one literally, you pretty well have to take them all literally. Or if you take them figuratively, Yeah, the other, there's also problems with having the thousand out there in the future after the return of Christ. Like Judy was saying earlier, if all the people are dead, who's going to populate the millennium? They're all dead. <laughs> and, and you have no one left. And then when you read about this thousand-year reign of Christ, the premillennialist idea is that there's a throne in Jerusalem reigning here on earth, but the, the vision is something happening in heaven. It does, never talks about Jerusalem or the earth or anything, there's this vision in heaven and, and souls and, and so on, and, and the idea of a literal earthly reign, it, it doesn't fit the picture. Don. Right. I agree with you, and it required way more charts than this. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I, grew, like, I grew up with, when we had to have a sermon series on Revelation, there would be like charts everywhere. And <laughs> this just, it's kind of simple. But it does make, I mean, it, when you lay them side by side like that, and it's the hail again, and it's the earthquake again, <laughs> and it's this again, and it's all, I mean, it's like different camera angles on the same scene. Then you're like, of course this is all the same thing happening and just looking at it from different angles. You know, I think that it's really helpful to lay them out side by side like that because it brings that together. You know, and I mean, as a historian, you know, all the medievals, of course, thought that the Pope was the Antichrist. And it looks like, you know, every generation thinks, oh, these are the characters. 
who are the people from Revelation. And I think it, that to me, what, you know, as I came to more of an amillennial view later, it was like, oh, well, that's why every generation thinks it's their people. It's because it is. It's this continual tribulation until Christ returns. And we've all got the characters who fit the story to some degree, but not, you know, ultimately. Anyway. This is the first brothers who got the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Yeah. And so they sit there at different, like you said, different camera angles. Yeah. There's not four Christ. There's one. one. Yeah, what I've been talking about here when I say premillennialism is called his, historic premillennialism. It goes all the way back to the first century. But, this, the, but the idea of dispensationalism, it never existed until 1830s. And it, it's really, in my opinion, a perversion of premillennialism. Mm -hmm. And, and uh, it did create a lot of trouble. And the other thing I want to say is it, the truth is not measured on how many people believe one of these positions because you can have more people believing a wrong position than a right position and I mean it can happen it does and that doesn't determine what's true you know, like who has the most adherence or whatever <laughs> and, and to echo that a lot of great uh, even from our tradition the Presbyterian tradition uh, Donald Gray Barnhouse was a premillennialist one of the great expositors of God's word uh, many who you mentioned Harry Reader and others Probably a lot of the reformers were on millennial in their thinking. Uh, but we even have a post-millennial uh, mm -hmm. folks who didn't really totally address that, but um, who sort of believe that there will be sort of an unspecified point of time where there will be kind of a great revival and, you know, sort of the, the Christianization of the world. That there was a magazine uh, which called The Christian Century, which was kind of uh, based on that idea, kind of a post-millennial idea of there will be this sort of thousand-year triumphal reign of the church before Jesus comes again to sort of consummate it. Um, and there have been people within our own tradition, much less Baptists and Methodists and other traditions, who have held all, all three of those views. Yeah. yeah. And anything, oh, here we got another one. <laughs> Well, one part of that is normally when you pick up a book, you expect it to be chronological. 
And so that would be your first thought all the time. This is just chronological like every other book I've ever read. And, and it takes a long time to discover that, well, maybe this isn't chronological. Maybe it is using parallelism or recapitulation. And, and so it does take a long time to figure that out. And the other aspect of it, it's really a lot of horrible stuff in this book. And when you get through each of these seven things, you get six bad things. And then in between six and seven, you have like this big encouragement for all the saints. And, and then it has the seventh. And, and so each one of these, it goes six. And then, but for the saints, be encouraged. And then the seventh. And, and so it's always giving encouragement to the saints in the middle of all this, this turmoil. So we don't have to be afraid because we know the end. But it's, it, it can be scary. I don't know. <laughs> but it's a good kind of scary. All right. Uh, we've reached the end. Let's pray. <laughs> Dear Father in heaven, Lord, we come before you. We thank you, Lord, for the book of Revelation. You reveal your glory, your majesty, your wisdom, and your greatness. And you are so far above us that we cannot even imagine the things that are in this book, and we just give you all the praise and glory and honor for sharing it with us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you, everyone. I don't know what's next week. Oh, thank you, thank you. Oh, thank you. Praise God. And it should go through.